Good morning. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word as we read from that country preacher, Amos, chapter 5, and also from the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. In Paul's words to the Thessalonians, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we are undergoing, in case you don't know, a tumultuous election season. Fears are stoked. Mistrust is high. Systems that were at one time reliable are are straining under the pressure of abuse and degradation. And both political campaigns said that this election is a battle for the soul of our nation. Which begs a question. Does a nation, like an individual, have a soul? And if so, is the soul of the nation judged like the soul of an individual? See, this is not the first time that our nation has had tumult during an election. And it won't be the last you're looking back in history at another time when the nation's division was palpable and the election had been hard fought. The winner gave a soul-searching inaugural address. And here is some of what he said. This is a long quote, so bear with me. On the occasion corresponding to this four years ago, all thoughts were anxiously directed to an impending civil war. All dreaded it. All sought to avert it. 
While the inaugural address was being delivered from this place, devoted altogether to saving the Union without war, insurgent agents were in the city seeking to destroy it without war, seeking to dissolve the Union and divide effects by negotiation. Both parties deprecated war, but one of them would make war rather than let the nation survive, and the other would accept war rather than let it perish. And the war came. One-eighth of the whole population were colored slaves, not distributed generally over the Union, but localized in the southern part of it. These slaves constituted a peculiar and powerful interest. All knew that this interest was, somehow, the cause of the war. To strengthen, perpetuate, and extend this interest was the object for which the insurgents would rend the Union, even by war while the government claimed no right to do more than to restrict the territorial enlargement of it. Neither party expected for the war the magnitude or the duration which it has already attained. Neither anticipated that the cause of the conflict might cease with or even before the conflict itself should cease. Each looked for an easier triumph and a result less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us not judge that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which, in the providence of God, must needs come, but which, having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove and that he gives to both North and South this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came, shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? Fondly do we hope. Fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet, if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so so still it must be said the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether." with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations." Powerful words. And one thing that stands out in Lincoln's address is the truth that the living God is a God of justice. And Lincoln saw that even in war, one thing remained true. 
The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. What remains true? What remains true after this election season? And what lessons, what lessons should the nation's soul take to its heart? Our text here today from Amos tells us that justice remains. Amos said, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. So for justice to roll on like a river, you have to keep it real, right? You have to keep it, you have to keep things real. And if, the na- and if nations have souls like people, then nations are capable, like people, of self-deception. You know, psychologists define self-deception as motivated false belief. And this means that you only like the information that makes you feel good, that makes you look good. Voltaire said, illusion is the first of all pleasure. Nations, yeah, nations can fool themselves about being right with God. People can fool themselves about being right with God. Nations can fool themselves about being just. And people can fool themselves about being just. That's the nation of Israel's problem here in our text. And Amos calls the nation back to reality. Some home truths. This is a, this text is a lament. So you know, he's, he's telling this, he's telling this in tears and crying. And he's saying, keep it real about the Lord's coming. Keep it real about the worship of the Lord. Keep it real about justice and repentance. Keep it real about the meaning of the resurrection. That's, that's our, our outline. So let's think about this. Keep it real about the Lord's coming. In verses 18 to 20, what woe to you who long for the day of the Lord? Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? Yeah, keep it real about the day of the Lord. So this is a reference to the Lord's coming in judgment. You know, Amos, he's an early prophet, and he's one of the earliest that used this phrase, the day of the Lord. And the nations, you know, so the nations around Israel had, they had in their worship of false gods this day that was called the Enthronement Festival. And it was a time when, when the king of the gods would determine the destiny of their, their subjects and reestablish order as he had done when he defeated the forces of chaos. So in the, in, in, in the Enuma Elish, Marduk defeats Tiamat and, it, and is elevated to the head of the, the pantheon of, of gods. And this elevation, it's a momentous time. It's, it, it's, it's a time in which the current state of affairs is all turned upside down. It's all, it's all upset as things are being put right. So it's similar to what you see as you read the book of Revelation. And so what Amos is doing here is he employs something familiar from their current culture, which was worshiping idols, but supplies it with a, a fresh, unique way to Yahweh's coming, to the Lord's coming. 
See, the day of the Lord is when justice is restored. Destinies are determined. The righteous are rewarded. And the wicked will suffer the consequences of their rebellion and sin. Order is restored. See, when the Lord comes to bring justice, will he find a nation? Will he find the nation being just? Will he find his people being just? The measurement of justice, justice, God determines what justice is. And here in the text, he just says that it's shown in how you treat the poor. And Amos 5, 7 says, you to turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. And in verses 10 and 11, you hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. You trample the poor and force him to give you grain. So Amos is saying, and so Amos says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Do you know what it is you're longing for? It's judgment. It's unrelenting terror. Yeah, it's the it's the man who escapes a lion only to be attacked by a bear. It's darkness and not light. And if the people of God, if the people of God won't protect the poor, They're fooling themselves about their standing with the Lord. And if the nation, if a nation won't protect the poor, they're fooling themselves about their standing with the Lord. Keep it real, Amos is saying, about the Lord's coming. But you won't keep it real about the Lord's coming if you don't keep it real about the worship of the Lord. Look at verses 21 to 23. I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies, even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings. I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. So God is saying to his people, he's saying to the nation, you make me sick. I hate your worship. I despise your offerings. I don't like your singing. See, God rejects, he rejects their worship. And why? Well, because the nation, the nation, his people had turned the worship of God into a transaction. See, God, they would say, you, we give you some of our best stuff. We give you some of our best offerings and therefore you should protect us. Therefore, you should bless us. And that's the way they they thought about God. This is the way they thought about each other. It's transactional. And the poor were on the bottom. You see, when grace is removed from worship, mercy is lost and oppression ensues. And the nation, they became what they worshipped. But that's that's not the covenant that they had with God. The covenant came to them by grace. It came to them through God's deliverance. And worship... The worship is given in response to this grace that God gives. William Temple, the arch, former Archbishop of Canterbury back in the late 40s, early 50s, he's, he, he said this about worship. He said, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty. The opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, all this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. In other words, 
if you're worshiping God, you're transformed. You'll be changed. You, you, you will change. You, you will be holy. You will be made more holy. You'll become more merciful. You'll become more just. You'll be more loving. You'll be more selfless. And James pretty much says the same thing when he writes about, about this, this tra- what this translates to in James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And see, so a nation can fool itself about worshiping God and so can a people. You need, you need, so, so you need more than a slogan on your, on your dollar bill. In God we trust. You need more. You need more than singing God bless America during the seventh inning stretch. The people of God can fool themselves about worshiping the Lord. And scripture shows us here and it's showing us that religion without righteousness is repugnant. And justification without justice is unjust. So keeping it real, keeping it real about the worship of the Lord means opening your heart to being more just, to being like him. And for this to happen, you have to keep it real about repentance and justice. Look at verse 24. But let justice roll down like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Do you hear the repentance in, the, in this verse? And, and it's, it's there in the contrasting conjunction, but. You know, which, is, which is actually it's just a continuation of, of Amos's cry to seek the Lord. This is earlier in, in the chapter, he said it three times, seek the Lord. And then in verses 14 and 15, he says, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. So you see, the way for any nation or person to come out of their delusion is through repentance. It's through repentance. Repentance breaks the cycle of motivated false belief. And what this repentance looks like is justice that rolls on like a river. And what keeps the nation stuck in the cycle of of motivated reinforcement, motivated false belief is the reinforcement it's the, it's the constant pursuit of monotonous reinforcement of biases. See, so if you're liberal, you, know, you, you listen to CNN or, or MSNBC or, or, or to any of the other major networks. And if you're, if you're conservative, you listen to Fox News or, or Newsmax. But neither plays nice with the others who might disagree But repentance, repentance humbles you to interact with the dissonance of being uncomfortable. Isn't that what happens on social media a lot? Yeah, it's the dissonance of being uncomfortable. I don't like that. Hit the like button or or the angry face button. You see, in Amos 7, here, the dissonance of, of Amos's message as he encounters Amaziah. So Amaziah, he's a priest of, 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 the, of Bethel, where the false god is worshipped and, and the national self-delusion was reinforced. Amaziah told Amos, get out of town. To which Amos 
graciously replied, but the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. That's how gracious he is. You say, Amaziah, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up and you yourself will die in a pagan country and Israel will certainly go into exile away from their native land. Dissonance. Amaziah, he's stuck. He's addicted to his motivated false belief and and not tolerating any dissonance lest his comfort is disturbed. But see, repentance, but repentance humbles you to interact with the dissonance of being uncomfortable so that you can get to justice. Because you'll never practice justice if what you're seeking is to be comfortable. Because where justice, where justice is, their unrighteousness cannot be. And where unrighteousness is, their justice cannot be. So keep it real. Keep it real about repentance and justice. Since you need to keep it real about the meaning of the resurrection. In first, first Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, I know that we've moved away from Amos, but we can't think about this coming of the Lord without thinking about Amos, since that's what Amos was talking about, the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. Because the text here, it, 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 it speaks a word of encouragement, it speaks a word of comfort to the grieving, but it is also a text about justice and the day of the Lord. Because recall, as we said, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is a day when the righteous are rewarded. When destinies, the destinies of Christ's subjects are determined. So remember, and remember, that the, what the resurrection is. The, resur- the resurrection of Jesus is the vindication that he did everything the Father had given him to do. In Psalm 16, verses 9 and 10, it describes his vindication. Therefore, the psalmist writes, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. See, Jesus, Jesus is the only one. He is the only one who has earned this elevation. You and I have missed the mark. Everyone else has missed the mark. Jesus alone hit the mark of the glory of God. So when Paul says we believe Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, he's saying that the vindication that Jesus is given is applied to those whose faith is in Jesus for their salvation. So just as the righteousness that God has given to us is imputed to us in Christ, so is the vindication that comes to us Through Christ. It's applied to us. That's an act of justice. That is an act of righteousness. That is the righteousness that Christ has brought into our lives. 
So have you considered, you think about this the next time you're at a funeral, especially here at Grace, because this is one of the passages that we love to use you know, and, we love, and we love to reflect on. So we think about this. So consider that our resurrection and the gathering of our loved ones who've gone before us, being united with the Lord forever, is an act of justice. Let justice roll on. Our faith in Christ culminates with Christ gathering his people who have taken refuge in him. The loud command, the the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God are calls to to gather for assembly, to gather and do battle. This is what Paul says. This is what Paul says and he alludes to when he writes the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.8 when he says, He will keep you strong, talking about God, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Amos' prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus. See, brothers and sisters, if our nation's soul is judged what will remain, these, 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 these truths, regardless of the outcome of the election, whether this goes to the Supreme Court or not, there's a sovereign, supreme Lord who has ascended to his throne. And he is right now reordering the world with justice and righteousness. Hallelujah. See, the people of God. The people of God, you're like Amos. The people of God aren't, aren't able to call the nation back to reality unless our faith rests in him. We can't speak to Capitol Hill without being rooted and grounded in Calvary's hill. Is your faith resting in Christ? It's because of Jesus' death and resurrection, justice rolls on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Don't you want to stick, stick your toes in? <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know where that stream, you know where that stream comes from? It's in Revelation 21 and verse 1 and 2. It says this: The angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Justice rolls on. Ah. Plant yourselves. Plant yourselves at the edge of this stream. Let your roots go down deep. And don't be moved by political outcomes. Don't gloat. Don't be overly despairing over what took place. Because politicians, politics will come and go. Pandemics don't last forever. And potential riots will be settled because of Jesus. And with malice toward none and charity towards all, let justice roll on. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, help our eyes to see you. Help us, Lord, even now to rejoice in the truth that you, Lord Jesus, are king. It's in your name we pray. Amen.